Genesis chapter 3. And let's just read verse 1, and then we'll open with a word of prayer. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we <clears throat> thank you for the opportunity to come this evening around your word. We pray that you would uh, speak to each of our hearts this evening, that you would <clears throat> teach us through your word, that Lord you would uh, refresh us, that we would learn something this evening, that you would empower me now through the spirit, uh, that it would be your words, uh, it would be your thoughts Lord and that you would uh, give us clear understanding this evening of your word. And Lord, I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, of course, last time uh, we were in the book of Genesis, which wasn't last week because it was Easter the week before, um, we concluded chapter 2. Okay, and we, we saw that at the end of chapter 2, creation is in its perfect state. You know, God's creation is complete, man and woman uh, both been created and they've been brought together in the God-ordained uh, union of marriage. Uh, there's no taint of sin upon the world. Everything is exactly as God intended it to be when we come to the end of chapter 2. Everything is indeed, as he said at the end of verse, uh, chapter 1, everything is very good. There's nothing out of order. There's, there's no pain. There's no suffering. There's no disease, there's no struggle for existence, no disharmony, no sin. And above all, there's no death. And yet as we look around the world today, it's clear that something has changed. You know, it's clear that as we look around the world today, that things are not very good. The world is full of chaos. You know, in the physical world, everything is <clears throat> degrading, everything is running down, it's wearing out. In the living world, there's this constant struggle uh, amongst God's creatures for survival. And the world we know is full of hatred. It's full of crime. It's full of war, corruption, disease, destruction. You know, in particular right now, as we look around the world, we're facing this pandemic, this disease that's spreading across, across the globe and killing thousands of people. You know, something has gone terribly wrong with God's creation, God's perfect creation. You know, how does a, a world created by a perfect, holy, loving God end up in such a terrible state? You now, if God is truly omnipotent and, and holy, why does God permit such things to take place? Indeed, how did evil, how did death ever appear, first of all? Now, thankfully, the answer is given to us here in Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? The answer is given to us here in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the answer to all these problems that exist can be found by considering the fall of man into sin. Now, Paul in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, considering uh, this passage, Paul wrote this. He said, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Paul wrote about the fact that you know, sin came into the world and death by sin. And it was one man's sin, Adam's sin, 
that brought death, brought destruction upon the earth, upon creation. And so sin is the root cause. It is the root cause of all of these problems that we see in the world today. You know, disease, death, destruction. They're all the result of Adam's sin there in the Garden of Eden. So this evening we want to begin to study and look at Genesis chapter 3 and this most important event in the history of mankind. I mean, this is the event that really changes everything, doesn't it? This is the event that sets history on a certain path, a certain course. As we want to begin to study this event this evening, in particular this evening, we're going to focus our attention on the tempter. You know, for this event to even occur, for man to sin, plunging the world into such chaos, man had to be persuaded. Man had to be tempted to sin by an external agent. And this is because, you know, at creation, there's nothing within his nature to lead him in such a direction. There's no sin nature, and so he needs to be tempted to sin. And the vehicle or the vessel used to tempt Eve here was, of course, the serpent. And we read that here in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of of every tree of the garden. The vessel, the vehicle used was the serpent. Concerning this verse, Morris writes this. He says, Among the beasts of the field that had been examined and named by Adam was one whose coloration was bright and beautiful and whose movements were smooth and graceful, a most attractive animal. Furthermore, this animal, the serpent, was more clever than any of the other animals. In her innocence, the woman was dazzled and soon led astray by this subtle, attractive and deceptive creature. Of course, we understand that the serpent here is merely the vessel. And therefore, before we talk about the serpent and we talk about the serpent's ability here to speak to Eve, let's first of all look at the evil spirit behind the serpent, the evil spirit using the serpent's body. And so firstly, this evening, I want us to consider the tempter, the tempter. And I want to turn over to Revelation Revelation chapter 12, if you would. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. Revelation 12, verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out. With him, if you turn over to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2, Revelation 20 verse 2 says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. In both of these passages here in Revelation, uh, we are told the identity of that old serpent. It's identified as being none other than the devil himself. You know, it's the devil who first rebelled against God, taking some of the heavenly host with him. It's the devil that then proceeded to influence and to tempt Adam and Eve into rebelling against God. Now, when we looked at 
uh, the six days of creation in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we mentioned the fact that the angels were also created during that six-day period, during those six literal 24-hour days. You see, God's word is very clear that God's creative work took place during those six days and that it was complete at the end of those six days. And then on the seventh, God rested. And so the angels are included in those six days. And knowing this to be true, we also, if you remember, stated that the angels were most likely created on the first day of creation. And that was a little while ago since we talked about day one of creation. But we mentioned the fact the angels probably were created there sometime after God created light because in, in the Psalms there's a passage which talks about that. It talks about the fact the angels were after the light but they were also before the foundations of the earth. And so most likely it's here on day one of creation that God created the heavenly host, the angels, this great host of angels that were created for a variety of ministries around God's throne in heaven. You know, they had various ranks, they had various positions, authority, and evidently the greatest of these created angelic beings was one called Lucifer, or the day star. And Lucifer is mentioned for us in Isaiah chapter 14. So we're going to turn over there now, Isaiah chapter 14. Trying to get an identity here of the the tempter and understand how he came to to be in this place to tempt Eve. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did we, didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mounts of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pits. In Isaiah chapter 14, if you look at the context of the passage, the context is that the prophet is giving a prophetic warning uh, concerning the wicked king of Babylon. He's giving a warning to the wicked king, uh, the king of Babylon. But in verses 12 to 15, the prophet, if you like, uh, goes beyond that, uh, beyond the, the earthly king, the earthly king of Babylon, and he, he seemingly addresses the evil spirit behind the king, you know, the one that's pulling the strings, if you like. And the statements, you know, that are found in these verses that we just read, you know, they couldn't ever be true of just an earthly king. They apply to a heavenly being. They apply to this angelic being, as the name is given to us here, Lucifer. And this same wicked spirit is then also mentioned and addressed in Ezekiel chapter 28. So let's turn over there as well. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, and we'll read from verse 11. Ezekiel 28 verse 11 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper. Uh, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold, 
The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. But the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. And here in Ezekiel 28, we again have this evil spirit, Lucifer, spoken about. And again, the prophet begins by uh, addressing an earthly king, the king of Tyre. But again, the, the attention turns to the evil spirit behind the wicked king. And in this passage, this wicked spirit, Lucifer, is identified or addressed here in Ezekiel as being the anointed cherub that covereth. Uh, verse 14 says that it says, thou, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Okay, so he's identified in, in Isaiah 14 as being Lucifer. In Ezekiel 28, he's called the anointed cherub that covereth. And basically that means that he covered the very throne of God. This is an exalted position. This is the highest position, if you like. And so he's the highest being in all of God's creation in that sense, amongst the angelic beings. In the very throne of God, covering the throne of God. Now verse 15, there in uh, Ezekiel 28 says, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. It tells us that Lucifer was created perfect. You know, God didn't make a mistake. He was created perfect in his ways. Just like everything else that God created, he was very good. He was created perfect. And so he's created perfect and he continued in that state until sometime after Man's creation on day six. Okay, until sometime after the completion of creation, Lucifer continued in that perfect state. You know, Lucifer didn't sin against God until later. And we know that because everything in God's completed creation was declared very good. And that includes the angelic host. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heaven and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And so the host of them not only talks about the heavenly bodies, the stars, but also talks about the angels, the host of heaven. And they were all created very good. And so sometime after the completion of creation, sometime after, you know, day seven God rested, sometime after that that Lucifer rebels against God. In Ezekiel 28, verse 17, we're told that his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. Let's just read that again. I should have told you to keep your finger there in Ezekiel 28. It says in verse 17, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So at the start, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy 
brightness. Because of his, his beauty, his brightness, he's, he's acted foolishly, he's corrupted. You know, Lucifer looked at his beauty and he was filled with pride. He looked at how God had made him and he was filled with pride in himself. And this pride led him to foolishly think he could be like God. That he could ascend to the same level as God. Isaiah 14, which we read earlier, declares us that he said, I will be like the Most High. Now in that passage, Isaiah 14, there's a series of I will statements in those verses. And one commentator explained these statements well. He said, I will ascend into heaven, which basically means he will be, sorry, heaven will be my home and my place of honor. The second one, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. In other words, I will be enthroned and will be exalted above all other angelic beings. The third one, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. In other words, I will sit in the place of glory and honor and attention. The fourth one, I will ascend above the heights. In other words, I will continue to rise even in heaven until all see me in my bright, shining glory. And the last one, I will be like the Most High. I will be glorious and be set equal to God, far above all other created beings. It's not hard to see Lucifer's pride, is it? When we read Isaiah chapter 14, see his pride, his heart is lifted up. You see, evidently he was filled with pride and he deceived himself into thinking that even though he's a created being, you know, and God had told him that. He said that in Ezekiel 28 verse 15, he said that he was created. God told him he was created. Even though Lucifer knew he was created, he thought he was similar in power and authority to God. He thought he deserved to be on the same level as God, if not above God. Of course, this led him to rebel against God, seeking to overthrow him. Revelation 12 verse 9, which we read back at the start, declares that Satan is the great deceiver, the deceiver of the whole world. You know, apparently he's deceived himself most of all, hasn't he? Deceived himself into believing in all seriousness that he can exalt his own throne above the throne of the stars of God, the throne of God himself. And Revelation tells us that in his rebellion, he took a third of the angels of heaven with him. They followed him. Revelation 12 verse 4 says that he drew a third part of the stars of heaven. So he took this this group with him in rebellion. And the result of this rebellion is that Satan and his angels were cast out of heaven. Ezekiel 28 verse 15 and 17 tells us, Because iniquity was found in him, God cast him to the ground. In Luke 10 verse 18, we're told that the devil fell as lightning falls from heaven. And ultimately, Isaiah 14 verse 15 tells us that he will be brought down into hell. The rebellion failed. Satan and his followers were cast out of heaven, cast down to the earth, and in God's timing, they will be cast into the lake of fire. And so having been cast out of heaven, you remember sometime after the end of chapter 2 and the start of chapter 3, these events have taken place. After being cast out of heaven, Lucifer sets his eyes upon mankind. You know, it's possible that one of the factors that led to Satan's resentment of God 
and his rebellion against God was God's plan for mankind. Yeah, man was created in the image and likeness of God. Man was created with the ability to reproduce after their kind. Man was created to have dominion over the earth. These were all blessings that weren't given to the angels. Yeah, perhaps Satan resented God for this. But now that he's upon the earth, Satan sought to destroy God's creation by deceiving man into likewise now rebelling against God. Morris writes, he says, perhaps he believed that by capturing men's, sorry, man's dominion and affection, along with the allegiance of his own angels, he might even yet be able to ascend back to heaven and dethrone God. Thus, Lucifer, the day star, became Satan, the adversary or accuser, opposing God and all his purposes. And now he became that old serpent, entering into the body of this most clever of all the beasts of the field, in order to approach Eve with his evil solicitations. And so the tempter here in Genesis chapter 3 is Satan, Lucifer. This one that's been cast out of heaven because of his rebellion. And so secondly, now let's look at the vessel. We've looked at the tempter. Now secondly, let's look at the vessel. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The vessel or the vehicle, if you like, that Satan uh, uses here to tempt Eve is the serpent. Which is said to be here in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, it's said to be more subtle than any beast of the field. It's this creature, this cunning creature that Satan chooses to accomplish his purpose. It's the, the exact creature he needs to accomplish his purpose in this time. You know, it's clear from the Word of God that demonic spirits, fallen angels, have the ability to indwell uh, either human bodies or animal bodies and accomplish purposes. Now, Luke chapter 8, let's just turn over there. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse uh, 33. Now, the context of the passage, of course, is that man who's possessed by a legion of angels. Okay, we just want to read verse 33. It says, Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. And so in one verse there, you've got both mentioned. This man who's possessed by these demons, they leave him and they go into the swine, into the pigs. And so it's clear from the Word of God, and there's other passages too, that they are able to possess into well human bodies, but also the bodies of animals. And so it's, it's clear that they have this ability, and that's what we see here in Genesis chapter 3. We see Satan here possessing the body of a serpent for his purpose. And something about the serpent made it uh, the suitable choice for Satan to use on this occasion. And verse 14 suggests to us that there was something vastly different about the serpent before the fall. Just go back to Genesis 3 
In verse 14 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. We have verse 14, we have the curse given to the serpent after the fall of man. And here that the serpent is condemned to crawl upon its belly and to eat the dust of the earth. And that's exactly how we know the serpent to be today. That's how we, we know the snake to be. And that's what we immediately picture here in Genesis chapter 3. But at the start of the chapter, the curse hasn't been given yet. And if nothing changes with the curse, well then it's not a curse, is it? Okay, the curse changes something here about the serpents. Something has changed because of the fall. Now, as to what that change was, you know, we can only speculate. We're not told exactly what form the serpent took before the fall. You know, some have suggested that perhaps the serpent was originally able to stand upright. And they point to the Hebrew word for serpent, which is nakash. And they suggest that it originally meant shining, upright creature. And that may be the case. Others have suggested that perhaps they had wings and could fly. The truth is we simply cannot say definitively what the serpent looked like before the fall. We simply know that a change took place as part of the curse. Now Hodge from Anson in Genesis summed it up well. He said, most commentaries seem certain that it was referring to some form of erect creature and changes took place with the curse. The logical answer is that the serpent originally had some form of legs or appendages, and these were either lost or reduced. This seems to correlate with the plainest reading of the passage and the comparison of a curse on your belly you shall go as compared with the cattle and other beasts of the field which do have legs. And so this seems to be the most logical reading of the passage, that they did have legs, had appendages of some form. And that's what made it the, the perfect choice here. Something about the serpent made it the perfect choice to tempt Eve here in Genesis chapter 3. And so it was vastly different from what we know today. But then there's another curious thing about the serpent here. The curious thing is that the serpent speaks. Speaks to Eve and Eve doesn't seem to be bothered by this. You know, Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said, Under the serpent, we may eat of the fruits of the trees of the garden. Now there's no indication here at all that Eve is surprised that a serpent is speaking to her. She simply responds. She has a conversation with the serpents. Now does this therefore suggest that the serpent and Possibly other animals were able to communicate with man before the fall. Well, that's certainly a possibility. Things definitely changed after the fall, after the curse. Now, the commentator Morris writes, he says, It is at least possible, as well as the most natural reading, that the higher animals could originally communicate directly with man, who was their master. These were possibly the same as the animals to whom Adam gave names and over whom man was to exercise friendly dominion. He also then goes on to write that if this possibility is true, it would also mean that after the temptation and fall, 
God altered the vocal equipment of the animals, including the structure of the speech centers in their brains. He did this in order to place a still greater barrier between men and angels, uh, sorry, and animals, sorry, and to prevent further use of their bodies by demonic spirits to deceive men again in this fashion. And so that's certainly one possibility that there was this communication that took place before the fall, before the curse. There was this communication, and after the curse, God altered um, the, the vocal capacity of the, the animals. He got rid of that communication. That's certainly a possibility. Or it may simply be here in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve, in her innocence, doesn't yet know that the animals aren't capable of speaking to her. And so she's not alarmed when the serpent opens its mouth and talks. You see, we must remember that everything is new to Eve. Everything's new. It's a new experience to her. She's only been created by God. We don't know how long before this, but she's created by God before this, and so everything's a new experience. And so that may account for why she's not shocked by the serpent speaking to her. You know, in any case, Satan here uses the serpent as a means of effectively deceiving Eve into partaking of the fruit. As I said, possibly it was on its hind, it had legs and it was standing upright looking in her eyes as it talked to her. Deceiving her to partaking the fruit, disobeying the one command that God had given them. You know, Satan, the great deceiver, the great impersonator, caught Eve at the ideal moment when she was alone. And he began by doing something that Adam and Eve had never ever considered before. Satan began by questioning God's word. Yea, hath God said. He began by questioning God. You know, Satan still works today as the great deceiver, as the great impersonator. Just turn quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 11 verse 13. It says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great, great thing, if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. First Corinthians 11 talks about the fact that Satan is able to appear as an angel of light. He is still the great deceiver. He is the great imposter. And he has false teachers who proclaim his counterfeit religion. And you know, many today are led astray by the devil, are deceived by his lies, blinded, to the, the truth of God's word, the truth that they are lost and on their way to hell. Satan has blinded mankind. You know, Satan's method of a, attack hasn't changed since the Garden of Eden. Satan still today seeks to get, to get men to question God and to question God's goodness. And as we'll see next week, this is the very method that led to Adam and Eve sinning, sinning against God. He got them to question God and question God's goodness. You know, this evening it's important that you and I understand that the spiritual realm is very real. 
Genesis chapter 3 is not just a fable about a snake talking to Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's not a fable. It's, it's a literal story. It's a literal account of how Satan entered into the serpent and deceived Eve. The spiritual realm is very real. Satan is very real. And indeed, he's still active in the world today. You know, we face a spiritual battle every day. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We face a spiritual battle. The spiritual battle is, is very real. The enemy is real. And therefore, as believers, we must be spiritually prepared through a knowledge of the truth of God's Word and through the power of the Spirit. As Pastor talked about this morning, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within. Through the power of the Spirit, through the knowledge of the Word of God, so we might then be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we're not deceived. We're not led astray. And so we can then lead others to the truth. Well, we need to understand the spiritual realm is very real. Satan is very real. But we have nothing to fear because we have Christ and we have the Holy Spirit within. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. And Lord, we thank you for the truths of your word. And uh, Lord, looking at Genesis chapter 3 and just gaining a, a greater understanding of exactly what's taking place here and who it is that's uh, deceiving Eve. And Lord, I pray that tonight uh, we've learned something from your word. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to realize that we are facing a spiritual battle every day. Lord, may you help us to be equipped through your word, help us to be surrendered to the Spirit, so we might stand against the wiles of the devil. Lord, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.